And so here we go. You can write some stuff down. Uh, make sure you open your Bibles. We're going to dig into a text. But what is the mission of the church? Uh, here's what I want to say. This is a new life type of saying. Uh, the church is not a place you go to. It's a people that you belong to. And so I don't know about you, but maybe that's not how you grew up understanding church. And so for me, that was not how I grew up understanding church. For me, going to church was something that we did probably twice a month. And then as I got older, it kind of faded a little less into maybe once a month. And it was definitely, not, not all things were bad about the church I grew up in at all, but it was definitely a place that I went to, and I, and I don't know about you, this is my story, this is my own insecurity bleeding out of the pulpit. It was a place I had to go to. Anybody? Like it wasn't just a place I went to. It was a place I had to go to. And probably one of the most difficult challenges that I had growing up was not falling asleep on that warm pew in that Presbyterian church. And so uh, we got rid of pews because of my insecurity, and we went to chairs many years ago. We never, actually never had pews at New Life. But, uh, but that, that was kind of my experience. But the reality is when you look at the early church and everything that Jesus uh, has given us to understand what this whole thing is about, it's not a place that you go to. You, you don't go to church. You belong to it. Does that make sense? Right? You, you belong to it because it's a church is a people. And John Calvin said this, right, that God is the father, but the church is the mother. Because the church comes alongside, it's a people purchased by the blood of Jesus, and it does things that good mothers do. It nourishes, it loves, it cares for, it disciplines. It's kind of the mother of the faith. And so there are these things that we exist to do, and it's all throughout Scripture, but really Jesus hits it home, and the three things are, write them down, we're going to love God, it's so cliche, but it is Absolutely what we're about. We're going to love people and we're going to make disciples. That's what we do. And it, and it seems so simple, doesn't it? I mean, how could you really get up here and argue that, well, I don't know, is the church really supposed to love God? I mean, these are simple concepts, but a lot of times in life, simple concepts can be hard to apply. And really our sin nature, nature is what makes them hard to apply. But looking at church history, you would think that this task is virtually impossible, and so there have been these little windows of church history where it seems like we've kind of figured this out, but by and large, we have way missed it. We have institutionalized this thing historically, and not just, you know, hundreds of years ago. Recent history, we've institutionalized this thing to the point of getting way off target of these three principles, loving God, loving people, and making disciples. There's, there's some shameful things in history. Wars in the name of Christianity indulgences that sell forgiveness in the name of Christianity, the church. All sorts of things that are really appalling in church history. For example, there, there's been a time in, in not too long ago church history where slavery itself was fought for instead of fought against. In 2022, I mean, no matter where you live in America, that, that should just blow your mind at this point. But there was a time where people were taking the Bible and they're going, you know what, that we believe in this thing and we're going to fight for this thing and because we're Christians, we're going to be pro-slavery. I mean, there have been atrocities in the history of church. And we look at it and go, man, we are, we are so glad that, that they didn't get it right, but for some reason we have. And th these things, what's so tricky about this whole reality is those things can feel so normal when you're in the middle of the drama. You, you kind of need to get away from it a bit to look at it at a helicopter view. What, am I really doing this thing the way God's calling me to do it? And so now, now we live in a world where, uh, thank God, some of those things aren't happening anymore. 
But we look back and we say, how could they be so stupid? But then we have to then, as a church, in the midst of so many churches dying on life support, look at what's going on all around us and ask the question, why? And I'd propose to you it's because we're falling away from this matrix. How did we get where we are? So right now, although we don't have those atrocities, we do have some spiritual complacency, which is its own atrocity, and we are absolutely in a consumer age of ministry. We have more access to the Bible than we've ever had before, and yet in the midst of that, we are more illiterate than we have ever been. We, we have this warped view of what ministry looks like. And one of them is this, that the only time I can hear God's word is if it comes from this person's mouth who's on stage. Or the only time I can see ministry done is when this institution that I give a little money to can do what it's supposed to do because church is a place I go to, not a people that I belong to. I mean, we have some weird, weird beliefs about what church should look like. And so we walk in this consumer, give me product-driven mindset. And it is so American, isn't it? Right? Give me, I'm, 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 providing, I'm providing this income for you. Now provide me with this product that I can consume. And the result, the end result of that is people are looking at it and they're just going, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, I think some of the most damaging things that have happened in modern church history happened around the 80s and 90s. When televangelists were saying, give me your money and you can have this product, and then we saw all the contradictions that ensued. And there just have been things, it doesn't matter which time you live in, there's things that are going right, and there's things that are going wrong. And now, even past the consumer mindset, people have said, check please, and they've been saying, check please, for a while. We have a lot of people in our church that are of the boomer generation, and their kids have said, thanks, but no thanks. And we're looking back and going, how could this even be? How could this even be possible? It goes back to what Mandy's saying. We used to have one or two things where we got our information. Now we have a lot of things, and I'll just tell you as a parent with now three teenagers, most of them are crazy. Most of them are crazy. And so the church's call is to love God, love people, make disciples. The way this text sets up, Matthew 22, there are Pharisees who are trying to silence Jesus. And so Jesus lays out this mandate of what we're called to do. And he's headed towards the cross. It's Matthew 22. And we're gonna start in verse 34, but I want you to hear his heart behind this because this is the difference maker in the local church. He says this, but when the Pharisees, verse 34, you can see it on the screen there. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They loved testing Jesus. Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And I, and I want you to imprint this on your mind because words matter. The words in these verses matter. Which is the greatest commandment of the law? Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord with your God with, and here's the word, with all, underline it, all of your heart. And you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. He says, this is the first commandment. This is the great commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. They had tons of rules, 600 and something rules. And then they had more rules on top of those rules that weren't even in the Old Testament. It all accumulated to, I think, a couple of thousand rules. The manuscript was huge. Jesus is saying, this whole manuscript that you're walking under, 
so that you can be better than everyone else around you, can really be dummy down to these two principles. You have to love God with all your heart and love the local church. You have to love people. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. And within all is this umbrella idea for his people purchased in his blood that he wants, look at me, all, all of me. That he wants all of you. And I don't know about you, but that's heavy for me. That's heavy. That my Savior who gave all wants all in return. And and here's what I want you to hear as we go through. This is what new life is all about. And this is what the early church looked like. And this is what we're supposed to look like. This is something that someone told me a long time ago that I wrote down. And I want you to hear it. All is the expectation and not the exception. And when you look at this text... And so this is standing in direct contrast to how I see things. I kind of look at things like, uh, you know, the super Christians, those people that are the spiritual Jedi knights of the faith, they get this, and then everyone else kind of gets a free pass. But when Jesus talks about this, this is the expectation. Not that we can really walk in the expectation because we all fall short, but that we all have an expectation if we call Christ our Savior, if you're going to get baptized today, if he's purchased you with his blood, that this is the standard that you're chasing. And here's another principle that I think is important to bring to light as we walk through this idea, that none, this is what the Bible teaches, that none is actually better than some. That that the, the idea would be this, that there are people in Scripture, whether it be the lukewarm church that Jesus talks about in Revelation, or, you know, the rich young ruler that walks away when they say, how am I supposed to live out this faith? And he says all, that it's actually better for people like the rich young ruler or the lukewarm church to completely walk away than to have this callous view of God that you can compartmentalize your religion with and you can give them a piece of this and some of that and and some of your heart and then you have those things that you have deemed off limits with your own heart that God looks at that and what does he tell the lukewarm church? He says, I am going to spit you out because none is better than some. He is so critical of the some Christian. And so we, we hear that, and we think, that just sounds incredibly unfair. And so it's this standard that we can't live up to, but look at me when I tell you this. That's the point. That's the gospel. It's the standard that we can't live up to, and we need Christ because we can't do it without him. The entire narrative of Scripture when it comes to the gospel is this story of redemption from start to finish, and in this story of redemption, there is an analogy that's used consistently, and it's that we're the bride of Christ, that, that he is uh, someone who has, has married us and redeemed us and purchased us. It is a love story from start to finish. It, the whole Old Testament is, is setting the thing up for Christ to come. We're reflecting back on what he did, and it's this idea that we're a bride, and so it's really a romantic in nature story. And so when you look at it like that, you start to see the heart of God. He knows that we can't live up to this, and that's the point. But he wants us to chase that expectation because what he wants from us is what he tells us. I want you to love you, love me with not some of your heart. I would rather none than some. I want you to love you, me with all of your heart, and when you fall short, I'm right there. That's what he wants for this next generation as well. And when you look at it through the lens of marriage, 
it makes a lot more, sta- uh, make more sense because I've, I've done quite a few weddings now. I've seen kind of the whole gamut. I've seen weddings where I'm going, man, this is going to be amazing. And then I've done weddings, or especially early on, where I went, mm, man, I think I should have hit a few more counseling sessions before we got to this point because now I'm meeting the bridal party and this isn't making as much sense. But I'm just kidding. That wasn't. You're like, who? who's he talking about? Well, save it for your gossip sessions, right? But in these, in these weddings, there's one consistent message that you're all in. What moron would walk down the aisle for some? I want some of you. Every time, there are things. They change candle lighting ceremonies, knot ceremonies, sand ceremonies. You know, I've, I've had people walk their dog down the altar as someone, like with the ring. I mean, I've seen some weird stuff. New Life is pretty accepting of things that if it's a secondary, not a biblical issue, we'll, we'll try it, right? I've seen all sorts of things, but what I've never seen is anyone change the actual ring vows. They always say, I take you. I don't know, I'll just look in the crowd, pick someone, Mandy and Derek, right, in Sioux Falls now. They've been married like a million years. I, Derek, take you, Mandy, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. I want you to hear the all statements. For better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Here's the ultimate all statement. Till death. Till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. I, I've actually memorized this thing. This is how many, no one, no one alters from this script. According to God's holy ordinance and with this ring, I pledge you my love. I want you to think of what God's calling his church to be through the lens of a love story. To love God and to love people with all of our heart. This is a catalyst for everything else that we do and how dysfunctional it would be if we compromise this message. If we turn this into a sum, I, I promise to love you for most days moving forward, for better and for some bad days, for richer and for a few degrees of poverty. Don't you dare make me eat government cheese. I did not sign up for that. And sickness and a list of these few medical conditions that won't disrupt my life too much in the end stages. Marriage, when it's put on display in the right way, is beautiful. We have people in this church that are elderly. There's a guy in particular, he goes to see his wife every day in assisted living for years. Why? He's going to do that till the day she dies or he dies first. Why? Because it's all good times, bad times. This is love. To love and to cherish for quite a few years, maybe death, or until something better comes along. Who in here is a father who has a heart of a father? You, you, you have this young man that you've met. Your, your daughter went to college. She brought someone home. And you say, well, tell me a little bit more about yourself. And he says, well, I kind of con- have concern for your daughter. I have this somewhat romance for her. She's a pretty beautiful girl. But I'm going to be honest with you. If something better comes along, I'm out. I mean, how old is that shotgun that you haven't dusted off, right? I mean, how, how does that look? We're the bride of Christ. Who in here would say if that was the proposal, ooh, baby, right? They could look like Brad Pitt. They're, they're out. They're out because they're what the Bible would call loser, right? We're about to sing this song, I think. Our song like this, I think, I think what's coming up is I surrender all. Man, the Bible doesn't leave any room for I surrender some. It's I surrender all. And no one even ever achieves the all status except Christ 
himself. But, but here's what I want you to hear before we move on and just get super practical. Jesus demands all. You can put this on social media or you can write it down in your notes. You can put it in your Bible. But hear me say this. Jesus demands all because he knows that our response to demand reveals the true condition of our heart. I'll say that one more time. Jesus demands all because he knows that our response to the all reveals the condition of our heart. That's why he wants all. It is a love story. He wants all. He's jealous for us. And so we try to strike a deal over portions of our heart that we'll give to the Lord, and God's going, I I don't want any part of that lukewarm disaster. That's a train wreck. I want to hear you can have it all, and when you fall short, I'm right there for you. And so we love God, love people, we make disciples. What does it look like to make disciples? Matthew 28, and Jesus came to them, verse 18, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you and I'll be, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. What does it look like to be a disciple? Very simply put, if you're going to new life, you're going, where are we trying to go? This is what it means. We just wanna follow Jesus. We don't want to just believe on some things. We don't want to believe that he's just the Messiah. I mean, that's a starting point, but we don't want to end there. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, he must follow me. That is what it means to be a real disciple of Christ. Anything short of that is simply religion. And there are some really bad people who actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the the main one being the devil himself. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows for a fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows who Jesus is, but he does not follow him. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is the great separator. This is why a lot of Aberdeen has been to New Life, but not all of Aberdeen stays at New Life. Because the call is to follow, and when Jesus says something, then he's right and we're wrong. That's the divide. It happened in scripture, John chapter six, Jesus is feeding 5,000 people, gains a bunch of fans, everyone's saying, yay Jesus. And then he basically lays out, no more free food, but follow me because I'm the bread of life. And John six, verse 66 says, from that point on, many who'd been following him no longer followed him. And so when they couldn't get something from Jesus, they didn't want Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm not a means to an end. I am the end. It's not about moderation when it comes to following and being a disciple. That's what we're about at New Life. Unchanging, 17 years in, still at it. So then the book gets into these other questions. What are the benefits of church? I, I think they're pretty obvious, but let's cover them. One of them is worship, that we can come here, and now we're talking about this idea of church being this corporate gathering that we can come here, that we can sing praises to Christ, and and maybe our week has been great, maybe our week has been a struggle, maybe our family is thriving, maybe our family is on its last limb, but but we all come here together from all walks of life. Some some of you are at the low end of the financial totem pole, and that's just a nice way of saying you don't know how you're gonna cover your rent next month, and it's kind of always been that way for you, and uh, you, you don't maybe even have the best reputation in the community, and it's a smaller community, and so you've maybe even historically felt judged, and you haven't always made the best decisions, but then you come here and you worship with someone who also loves Jesus, and maybe they're your boss, 
or in Aberdeen, maybe they're your boss's boss's boss, right? Maybe you're working at, at Taco John's and you're, in the, you're cooking and, and, and you can actually, this is the only organization in the history of the world where you can be uh, doing that for a living and then next to you in your seat, lifting their hands up to Jesus is the person that owns like 50 Taco John's. We've actually had that exact scenario at New Life. That this is a place, this is the benefit that we are all on the same playing field, rich and poor, regardless of, of race or gender, young and old, that we can all come here and we can worship the same Savior and we are all on the equal playing field because that's the way God designed his church because there's Jesus and then there's the rest of us. And so we come here together and we worship with an intensity of devotion that fills our hearts, that we come here and that we consecrate this time where we're gonna open God's word and we're gonna hear the word. That's another one, that, that's a benefit of being in church. For every 30-minute sermon, you're going 30 minutes, it's, I think it's a little longer than that. I, I think it's close, okay? But for every 30-minute sermon you hear at New Life before we start winding down and starting the next sermon, uh, for every month that you're hearing sermons, you're hearing about 200 hours more of media around you. And so we come together, this is a benefit, all saying we have all of this noise going on but we're gonna drown it out for this time and we're gonna come together and say we are syncing up on the word of God. And so a benefit is hearing the word of God. I read a Gallup poll uh, actually this week getting ready for this message that still 60 or 76% of people are picking churches based on this matrix as number one and the closest second is way under. So this is a huge part of what we do. We're taking texts like Matthew and we're breaking them down and we're saying this is what we're about and we're about hearing the word of God, that we can take communion together. That's another benefit. That we can celebrate what God did on that cross, that he sent his son Jesus to die on it. And so we drink the wine, or you know, who in here knows that we have absolutely best tasting communion in the state of South Dakota? I'm about 80% sure most of our communion cups aren't that expired. We, we, did, we probably got them from the bargain mart or something like that. I'm cheap, and so it reflects on the budget. But, but we take communion together and it doesn't really matter the quality of the elements because it's symbolic. And we take this little, you know, low carb wafer and, and we look at it and we say, this is the body of Christ broken for me. And we come around that and, and maybe we have this sin in our life that before we take communion, we're giving that to the Lord and we're looking around and we're going, man, uh, this is awesome. It's a family time. And so we're coming and having communion together. Something we're about to do, this is the big one, right? That we can see baptism take place. I wanna camp out here for just a second, then I'm gonna move on, we're gonna close this thing out in just a bit. But that's a huge part of what we do. I, I told you it's my favorite Sunday, it really is. I, I prefer this one over Easter all day long. Because Easter tells the story, but baptism applies it. Right? This is what Easter's all about. He died, he rose, he's alive, he's your savior if you turn to him for salvation. And baptism is saying, that person made that, I love it because it's Aberdeen, right? It's a smaller community. You know the people that you're baptizing. You know some of their stories and we're gonna all come out to that lake and there's gonna be hundreds of us. We're gonna look like a cult to the community in a little bit and three services strong. And we're going to see a bunch of people get in some of the nastiest water in southeastern, northeastern South Dakota. Like one of the miracles is that we don't die from the algae. 
And about a thousand times strong in that water, I'm probably growing a third arm or something like that. But I mean, I mean, we're gonna all join together and we're gonna get baptized at Wiley Lake because it is an absolute blessing to be baptized and then to live in this community as a people of God. Showing our friends and family, especially in a religious community that baptizes little babies and tells them this lie that that's how they're saved. And people are standing up and going, no, when I was like 25 years old, I heard the gospel from this goofy guy at New Life, and I responded to it, and, and I gave my life to Christ, and I wasn't saved before I even heard the word. I was saved when I turned to Christ, and it's time for me to publicly say, and all of my friends and family are gonna come to this thing, even if it's controversial, and side note, that's the point, even if it's controversial, I'm gonna say, I have made a decision for Christ. That my kids aren't gonna be a part of that 4% statistic. I'm gonna show them what it looks like to love and serve Jesus Christ. I'm gonna put that on display. I don't care what my legacy's been. My life's been transformed, and I'm a new creation in Christ. And so these are the benefits of the church. Here's the last one, here's the closer. What are the disciplines? This is where it gets kind of ugly, right? What are the disciplines of the church? What are those things that if we are a people purchased by the blood, if we are all and not some, what are we doing? Practically speaking, we attend, we show up. This is a stat that has plummeted since the late 90s. We go. 1993, 45% of people that call themselves Christians were in church almost every week. 2022, 27%, where it's like an F minus. 27%, we show up because we want to, not because we have to. Other thing that we do is we attend, we serve. Just a side note, uh, any dads in church, one of the coolest things, or, or men at, at New Life, you don't have to be a dad, you don't have to be married, one of the coolest things about, about New Life that, that really is different than most churches you will see is that there are a lot of men serving specifically in children's ministry. That, that we have our vacation Bible schools and it's not just a bunch of moms and, and older ladies serving. It's, it's young men and old men and dads and grandpas serving alongside. Just credit to Tina because she'll ask you until you refuse to say no because you're scared of her. But, but we all come together and we all serve. Women, is there anything more attractive than seeing a man serve and lead in his local church? It, it's incredibly attractive, I would assume, right? It's like they're not, they're not unicorns, they actually exist. That there are real people, and we want to capture them and study them. Discipline of church. Discipline of church is giving. Generosity. 5% of the local church is tithing in the way that God mandates them to. 30% of the local church, I'm not talking about new life, you, you guys have probably noticed this church is super generous. Right? We just kind of never worry about money. It's, it's incredible. It really is incredible. And I think it's going to continue to be that way because I know you guys. And uh, I appreciate that as a pastor. Trust me, it takes a lot of burden off my plate. But that we're sacrificing. This is what we do. We sacrifice for the local church. That, that we walk in this mentality. And dads, I'm going to keep calling you out. It really does start with you. They're saying, this is a priority in my life. I love these people, even though they're messed up like me. And there's gonna be drama because family drama is always real and church is no different. We're a family and it's dysfunctional, but I'm gonna keep sacrificing and make this thing a priority 
And I've got these things in my life that I could be doing, and most of the friends around me and the coworkers around me aren't making this commitment, but I'm going to keep digging into this place called the local church, and I'm going to keep vesting in it because it matters to Jesus, and it matters to me, and I need it. These are the disciplines of the local church, and and here's how I want to close. We're going to have baptisms in just a couple of hours. I would encourage you, bring some food. We have the main dish. You you know, you guys kind of know the routine. You can go dessert, or you can go side, and we're just going to Uh, have the rest of it. Downtown's about to start church and then go set up for this thing. But I want to close with this idea that I was praying about last night, that, that we really are living in a window. We're living in this window that we've always been living in, in a sense, that we all have these windows. And so in psychology, the way that I was trained is that we all have these developmental periods of time. They call them stages. And maybe depending on the theorist, there's five stages or seven stages that, that I was kind of trained in this idea that from birth to death, there are these stages of life that you live in. And I was telling one of our elders this morning before we prayed, I think the more accurate way of seeing life is not through a stage of development, but through a window of opportunity. It's kind of the same idea, but I'm going to distinguish the difference in just about 30 seconds. But I want you to get that idea. Picture a window in your mind right now. Here's what windows do. They have two functional realities. They open, and what else do they do? Close, shut, right? Same, same thing, right? They open, and they shut. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, when it comes to our heartbeats being numbered, or our days being numbered, the reality of these open windows is that they are only open for a season, and then they're shut. Right? And then it's kind of that developmental stage where you get another window, and it's open for a period of time, and then it's shut. And then you have another one that's open, and then it's shut. And then if life goes the way you thought it was going to go, and you live this life to however old, whatever is old for you, then you have your last heartbeat and everything on this earth that was open is now shut for the final time and you go to meet Jesus face to face. I had this idea in my mind last night as I was praying through this message that we are living in these windows that open and shut and if you don't take advantage of the window that you're in, you will pay a very practical price and the idea was this, the church is central to every window you are in. If you do not make this place a priority in your life, the window that's open now that's going to shut, you're going to pay the price. That's some getting older wisdom in your life that I want to share with you. So so let me explain what I mean. We're going to close. You're single. You have this window. Anyone single in church? I'm not admitting that, okay? I know some of you are. I watch you, right? You're single in church, and you have this window of opportunity. And thank God, if you're hearing this message, you, you already kind of knocked it out of the park because where are you right now? You're in church. But you're single and you're in church and it's going to close. And so your, your whole goal, I'll just kind of pick on girls that are single in church and, and wanting Mr. Right. Your whole goal is to find Mr. Right. And then so what so many happens so many times and then you come to the pastor and you're ready to get married. You finally found someone and you really wanted to take that step. And so you wanted a guy in the church, but there wasn't a lot of them. And so you clubbed a guy over the head in the community and you drug him to church because you're like, well, he listens to me. So I am going to drag him screaming. He acts like he really kind of wants to now because he likes me. But I'm going to metaphorically drag him into this place to try to mold him and shape him into somebody that I think he's supposed to be so that I can have these vows and I can have this ring 
ring and I can have these flowers and I can have these, this dress and I can have this Cinderella story and so I'm gonna club him over the head, I'm gonna drag him into church because I know he's supposed to go to church with me and instead of doing things God's way, you're doing things your own way and in doing things your own way, you have this window that's shutting and you're gonna pay the price. Like what if, look at me, what if singles, what if instead you found someone in the church instead of clubbing them over the head and dragging them to church if they'll even go? You have this window of time in your singleness where the church is central to the process, where there's accountability, where someone can account for whether that guy is a home run or a total dud because they've walked with him for years and they're going, you know what, that's a good match. You guys see this couple singing on stage today? Married, right? You know why they're married? New life, right? For a small fee, I'll set you up with someone too, okay? (laughs) What if we actually use the church for the way the church is designed to be in community like that and you find people with a common like, common interest? You want to find a leader for a husband someday? Look to the church. Guys, there's a leadership deficit. We have to step up. There's windows that are opening shutting. You have a family. You have kids. You want them to look a certain way. You want them to understand a certain message. And so you bring them to church. Right? And there's this fallacy to the way that you're thinking and operating where you're saying, I'm going to dish off this spiritual responsibility as the pastor of my own home, and I'm going to say, I'm going to bring them to church so that they learn these principles. And then what happens in your window when it shuts, because you needed the church to consume, to provide something for your family, your kids grow up, and all of a sudden I see you like once every six months. And then your kids don't go at all, and you're just scratching your head going, what, what in the world is going on? I brought them to this place. Why aren't they going to the same place that I brought them to? Let me just give you a little insight. It is so much more about bringing them to church. What if instead of teaching them to go to church, church we taught them and showed them, putting it on display, how to love this place, to love the local church and all of its dysfunctions and shortcomings? And we have this window that's open and it's shutting. Or maybe it's a legacy window where you have this time and you've raised your children well, or maybe you haven't even raised them well, but you, you just loved Jesus in the process and uh, things haven't always gone right, but, but you love Christ and you have this legacy window that's shutting and it's gonna be your last heartbeat and you have this time to not say check please and to not say, well, I'm gonna show up sometimes and I kinda already did my part, I already worked in Sunday school, whatever that is, and I'm actually going to invest in my legacy generation in the people under me and even when I did things wrong, I'm gonna learn from those things and I'm gonna invest in the next generation. I'm gonna give generously to things like FCA where all these kids are gonna hear the gospel as a result of someone's obedience. I'm gonna believe on the things of God. All of these things, the door is closing, the window is shutting. And there are these two competing realities. There is an enemy out there that's ready to steal, kill, and destroy at any given moment. And he is dominating the social arena right now. If you you haven't noticed, when you look around, it's like we're getting beat up as a church. But in the midst of all of that, there's this remnant that's always existed. And I think one of the remnants is this church itself, light and darkness, salt in the midst of the earth. And we are putting Christ on display. We're going to go to the park publicly and show some people that don't love Jesus what it looks like to be a Christian that we're gonna attend, we're gonna serve, we're gonna give, we're gonna invest, and we're gonna take this small window of time before our heart starts beating, before our heart stops beating, and we're gonna say, I'm all, all in for being a disciple of Christ. Because none is better than some. 
Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that we can love you and serve you. That we have this window where we can be a part of the disciple-making process. We pray that you'd be glorified in this window of time in our lives. So thank you for all the people at this place that are family to me. All the people that have come throughout the years, all the lives that have been changed. But we would really ask that this church, the discipline of church, that we'd be seeing just the tip of the iceberg about what you're going to do in our lives. There's still a community to reach. There's still nations to reach. There's still Peru to reach. There's still reservations to reach. There's still small communities around us to reach. Give us favor. Help us to be the church. We pray this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.